We are looking at, first of all, a new year ahead of us. Happy New Year! It's actually Epiphany, you know, the final day in the Christmas season, actually. It's the day they say the Magi came to Jesus on, uh, on January 6th. But for us, this is the first time we've seen each other since last year. So uh, who's looking forward to 2019? Anybody excited about that day? I'm, I'm pumped. I'm excited about where we're headed and what we're going to be doing. In fact, because what you just saw, it is our 30th anniversary as a church. And uh, the church, all the branches have been around for 30 years. We're going to be celebrating that throughout the year. And we're going to be looking forward into the future. So if you're our guest here today, we're glad that you're uh, joining us to hear a little bit about where we're going and what we're doing and who we are and who we've been. And uh, before we start moving forward into the series, though, we're calling Greater Than and talking about our future being greater than our past. I ask that we would gather together, just pray and ask God's blessing on our time. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come before you right now and we thank you for just all of the things that you've done throughout our past, the, the current people who, that are here that call Olive Branch their family. And we thank you, God, for just the opportunity you've given to us to uh, reach into this valley and to uh, communicate and talk about you, Lord Jesus. Today, as we get into your, uh, into your word, as we uh, look back and remember the past, as we kind of apply your word into our day, would you just lead us? Would you just move us? Would you begin to act upon our hearts? Uh, Spirit, just give us insight and a vision for what you have in this coming year and the next decade. We ask for your blessing as we move forward from here, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, thinking through beginnings and all these different things has pushed me back to, especially when it comes to vision casting, it's pushed me back to the remembrance of what I felt like when my first child was on their way. My, my daughter was in, you know, in my wife's, uh, in, my, in utero, and what was odd for me was the fact that I had no control. I couldn't do anything about it. Like, there's this baby being formed here. You know, I, don't, I can't eat the right things. I can't take the vitamins. I can't make my wife feel better. I can't, I'm just kind of standing there as an observer observer watching what's happening and feeling like, wow, an alien is growing in my wife. This is weird, right? So there's that kind of sense. But then other alien things are going on. Like people are trying to tell me, you know, I think it's always funny when you have your first kid. They're like, yeah, you know how that happens? You're like, yes, I do. They especially like to say that when you've had your fourth kid. But the, um, when you get into it, you're like, oh my gosh, there's cribs. And then there's special cushions in the cribs so the baby doesn't, doesn't die in its sleep. And then there's bottles and special bottles to help with gassiness and, and formulas and pumping. Who knew there was pumps and all this kind of weird, crazy stuff, right? And you're just sitting there going like as a man going like, this is all alien, weird. This isn't stuff that you deal with as a, as a dad. And then the strangest and hardest thing I went through were the showers. Like I actually was the dad who went, any dads go through your showers for your baby, for your kids? Am I like the only male on earth that had to do this? Okay. So they threw a shower here at the church in the lobby and uh, for my wife and I. And so my, my mom comes and her mom comes and they set everything up. It was pretty. And they were starting to play some games I'd never heard of with you know, candy bars and weird stuff like that. And, and next thing you know, you got kids' faces. Our, all of our children's pictures, baby pictures are up on a wall and you're supposed to guess who's who. And by the end of the whole thing, it was fun. It was good. I'm standing there and, and we're looking at our pictures pictures and this lady who had come standing next to me and she goes, that's you? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's my picture. She's like, really? That's you? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you were a porker. (laughs) Obviously this has hurt my soul since I remember it now, 14 years later. Um, No, actually I look at the picture. I'm thinking, I'm not a porker anymore. Thank God. You know, so, um, but it's, it's funny when you look at your baby picture of who you are as a baby, you look nothing like, and you act nothing like you do when you're 30, when you're 40. 
And the same thing goes with churches. When churches are planted, there's all this anxiety and all this work and all this struggle that goes into it. And when it launches, it doesn't look anything like it does 30 years later. In fact, the people are different. The staff is different. The the mission is stated differently. There's there's lots of differences that have occurred in the church, just like there's differences between you and your baby picture. Well, not some of you. Some of you just look like a bigger version of you. You know who you are. Uh, I had a friend who looked like a little mini him, and he just grew up. And it's like, you just got bigger. They just inserted air. So... uh, but when we look at church, it's a, it's a celebration also of what God has been doing. 30 years of a church, it, I want to take some time and I want to look back for a little bit on this and celebrate God's work in the past. And I believe this is applying biblical principle because as you move forward into a new decade, as you step into a new year, as you move, we kind of do. We have a tendency to look back and then stop kind of gather and collect and then move forward. And what I want to do is talk about that movement forward. I want to talk about that and celebrate that because the church stands on the background of the Hebrew scriptures. And Hebrew scriptures were speaking constantly and reminding us that you need to remember. Look back and remember. Passover was about the Israelites sitting there at a meal and remembering what God had done through Moses to make Israel and bring them out. And when we sit and we have communion or we're sitting at Good Friday or we're doing our time at Easter, we sit and we look back and we remember the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. We take time to reflect on how it's impacted our lives and move forward. This was captured by one particular individual. His name was Samuel. And Samuel was the last judge of the, Israel, of the Israelite people. And, and a judge was a specific kind of office. God was king and Israel, was, Israel had these judges who kind of executed God's will and rule on the earth for, for, the, for the king God. And he, Samuel was the last one because Israel just kept failing and failing and failing and failing. Finally, finally they just go, we want a king. And Samuel gets all hurt and gets all pouty and walks away. And God says, don't, don't get all mad. They rejected me as their king, not you. Just go back and give them a king. So they set up this guy, Saul. He becomes king. And he's, he's good at the beginning. And he just kind of gets worse and worse and worse and worse as his reign continues. But before Saul takes office and really launches out, Samuel takes his one last opportunity to say his farewell speech. And it's not a very nice speech. I mean, literally, he's like, look, you, I was your, I was your uh, prophet. I was your prophet. I was this uh, judge for you. And did I do anything wrong? No, you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, so you reject me and you reject God as your king. So here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a king who enslaves your people, enslaves you guys, takes your kids, makes them part of his army, taxes you to death, builds his own palaces off your own backs. Have fun. Basically, he just like spits at him and just bleh. Yeah, before he walks away completely, he's like, now, now on the side, God's not going to forsake his people his great, for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. And he goes, I'm not going to sin by not praying for you. And then he states this in chapter 12. He says, only, this is what I ask of you guys, only fear the Lord, serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Right there is the principle. Look back and consider the great things God has done for you. Why? Because it leads to this idea of serving him faithfully with all your heart. If you see what he's done, it gives you fuel for where you're going and allows you to move forward in faithfulness. So what I want to do today is celebrate what God has done in our past. Because really, Olive Branch began um, far more than 30 years ago. 
It began when this man, who's, who's named uh, Ike Riddle, he currently lives in Texas, and he um, was saved in his 30s, his mid-30s. He came to know Jesus Christ. And, the, and it was such a powerful transformation for him. He was passionate about Jesus. It tore his marriage apart, his first marriage apart. He wound up um, getting a divorce and having all kinds of struggle. And as he worked through that, and he came to the place where he felt that he was called to start a church and plant a church. And so he, he came to California. He started going to school, and he got some training at a church planting, uh, church planting place called Saddleback in, in, out here in Orange County. And he started off with this, with this idea, maybe, maybe I won't plant a church. I'll just become a pastor. And he started in a little church in Norco as their pastor, but passionate about reaching people for Jesus. So passionate, the people at this little church in Norco said, nah, we don't think so. And they did. And so he had to step out of the church. So Ike Riddle steps out of the church and he thinks, what am I going to do? And he says, I'm going to plant a church. Here's a single man starts knocking on people's doors, ask them, hey, well, why do you don't like going to church? I'd love to talk to you about this. Yeah, come try our church out. Come check things out. And in his hustle and his prayers and his leadership, he launches on December 4th in a barn in Norco with 12 people, including children, a little group of people that would soon become Olive Branch. Eventually, they'd find themselves in Norco High School where they, he would lead worship and preach. I mean, he would do everything because he was trying to get this church rolling and going. And as he was ministering and lead, it started to grow and slowly began to grow to a couple hundred people. Then it was self-sustained and it continued to develop. Now, that's an important step. And the reason I bring it up as a celebration is I'm, I'm a church worker, guys. I know kind of how what the stats are. And a lot of people don't realize this. If you want to go plant a church, four out of five churches in the United States when they're planted fail within the first two years. The, a bunch of people go, I got the same dream I does. Let's do this. They step out and it closes within two years. That's not what happened with Olive Branch, obviously. He was able to continue forward and God was blessing it because one thing that Ike wanted to do and his whole focus for this one church was to build a church that reached the entire Corona Valley. He wanted a church that wasn't going to stop until the entire valley, that as far as he could see, as he explained it to me, when he had sit at a Crest of Verde and look out on all the area that he could see that it was reached for Jesus. That included the Timiskel Valley, that included down near Elsinore, all the way out, all the way through Norco. He had a heart's desire for a church that was going to reach out into this area to bring the knowledge of Jesus as it has affected his heart to affect others. And so he served and he cared, and eventually people began to rise up. Leaders began to step forward, and they started all kinds of interesting different ministries from a recovery ministry. The school was launched. They had this thing called Rock and Flock. Any Rock and Flock people here? Amen. There we go. We got a couple right here. And so, and Rock and Flock was like, eventually turned into VBS and was also turned into like our uh, uh, Olive Branch Theater thing later on. And, and it's just, God was doing stuff. Our elders launched and some of our elders like Buzz Brown started our men's ministry. And there was just some major movement that was occurring. So they moved into Auburndale where they continued to grow until they landed here in this little downright corner was this um, they were in this commercial industrial area, commercial properties that was right off of Parkridge where they began to, they had one building and they took over two. Eventually they had four different suites that they had taken over. The church had grown to about 500 people in this commercial area. And God just continued to bless and continued to grow. Eventually the school was started with first with the We Folk Farm Preschool and then eventually it grew into our preschool, which grew into our school that we have here today. And God continued to bless as eventually one day Ike was sitting across from a wealthy landowner and uh, talking about a little piece of property in this place called El Cerrito. And as he was talking to this guy, he said, you know what? I think you just need to give it to the church and take the tax write-off. 
And the man goes, okay. And the property we sat on was gifted to the church. And then they took the loan out and built the buildings that we currently have. And um, eventually, another event was when uh, he was talking, praying over a man in a hospital. I don't remember if he was healed necessarily or just was moved by the fact that Ike was willing to go there and pray over him. That man just said, here's a gift. And he paid, off the, paid for the, uh, the church down the street, which has become the youth property. That was a little cornerstone church that had come for sale. And this is based on his prayers and the people's actions and movement in the church. The man would be found in here at 4 a.m. in the morning praying almost daily over Olive Branch. To this day, when I talk to him, he still prays for you guys every single day. He's a man of faith and a desire to see the church that he planted launch. And so where is he? Where'd he go? In 2006, in the complications with fibromyalgia, he had to stand before the congregation he loved so dearly and worked so hard to produce and actually say, hey, I have to retire. His health problems had gotten to that point. Within six months, he had moved to Texas, where he continues to live and pray. And with his wife, Sharon, who's like, in all of this, was like the executive pastor making everything happen to all his visions. And the the faithfulness of Ike and the faithfulness of of the Church of Olive Branch set up an opportunity for a transition. That transition went on, and and, and some amazing things happened. The elders kind of stepped up, and there was some transformation, some growth that occurred. And yet, it was still the people in the church that were making the biggest moves. A couple named uh, Jim and Kim Felix stepped up and said, you know what, we really need something called care groups in the church. And he was an elder at the time, and so these care groups began, and eventually they morphed into what we know today as our small group system that just and Pastor Justin runs, but they were launched by a volunteer in our church by somebody who was just coming here. Another interesting time was a young man named Sean Gagan steps up and starts talking to me. He's like, I got this vision. I got this idea. We can have this place where people go out and we can just go in teams and fix people's yards and go out and really make a difference in, in people who are struggling. And in his vision, after he'd gone and come back, it, it launched. And this, another lady stepped in to help really organize it and continue to get it moving into and grease its wheels. And Patty Gunn kind of stepped in and greased it and made it strong to where James Project still survives today. Not created by staff, created by faithful volunteers in the church who are willing to step up. And this is the beauty of these things. Eventually, the prop, this property became our home base where other ministries continued to roll out. The person down in the corner there, um, Christine, is probably the sole reason our church continues to do global outreach. Stepped up as she was a youth in our church, in our youth group. The first time I met her, she brought her goat to be prayed over. Isn't that nice? And it was, it was awesome because she just had a passion for Jesus. And that passion grew to the point where she was gone off to school to learn how to bring Christ to, to anybody she could. And she just had a desire to see global workers and the church move in global outreach. And to this day, we, we are seeing people going overseas because of her desire and sacrifice and drive to see that move. It is the people in the seats here that has made Olive Branch Olive Branch. See, we as the staff, we celebrate when you guys step up and make the moves and make the difference. Our job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. Our job is to help you. Yeah, we'll come up with some crazy ideas. They may or may not float. That's okay. But our job is to help train and guide and leave you and transform you. In fact, one of the other, vol- one of the other pieces that occurred as many years ago, we... Um, 
we sat as a staff and, and with the elders and, and talked to some people and said, hey, church is growing. What are we going to do? And uh, we're, we're, we're going to end up running out of parking lot space and other things like that was kind of the conversation. And so we said, we need to, we need to get out there and find some acreage or something. And so a man named John Kalmakov kind of knew the area, ran around and found as many 10-acre plots as he could. And eventually with him and his team, they were able to pull down the 14 acres that are out by Tom's Farms. So it's just a time there was not a lot out there compared to what's out there right now. And um, we're able to actually, we were able, the congregation was willing and able to, uh, to purchase that property for $1.1 million, which is, if you know anything, that's a ridiculously low price. And to this day, God has put a foundation down over these last 30 years that we in this room sit on and stand on to do ministry because we're here to see God work. Yes, we have this awesome place. We have this place that, that many of you, we, we look at this, we say, hey, this is the church. And I want to just remind you, no, it's not. That's a home base. And I want to emphasize the word base because it's not home. Guys, this isn't home. We're just passing through. We are people on our way to eternity, and we're going to take as many people with us as we can. Amen? What I want to say this today is I want to look back and I want to celebrate. And I want to celebrate what Pastor Ike and his faithfulness was willing to do, what his wife Sharon, all these volunteers, all these people who have made this place place. And so I'm just asking you to do me a favor. Let's just thank our God right now. Would you just give him a clap, a praise? Let's just shout and just celebrate. Father, I just pray that that is glorifying to you because of the sacrifices of the people, because of all the work that has been done by others in this church who some of them are no longer here, some of them who have gone on to other churches to help them. We praise you, God, for them. We thank you for the right people at the right times that you've established Olive Branch. We thank you for Pastor Ike and the vision that he was willing to trust you in it. We thank you for all of those who have gone before and the faithfulness of the sacrifices of the giving in this generous church. And I ask that you would continue to be glorified here and that you would enable us to walk forward and move forward. For God, you are not finished. 30 years and you have more decades ahead. We believe that. And until you come, God, we're going to be faithful to that work. And we ask that you bless it. And it's in Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. Now, why do I bring this up? Why do I say it's a base and not a home? Because the danger in every church is to go from this infant struggle where you're one, you're one of the few that make it out. And most churches, what will happen is they'll get to about 100 and they'll stall. 65% of churches in America are stalled at about 100 people. Trying to reach out and do something. But God, for some reason, continued to bless Olive Branch and continue to grow and develop and move. And here's the beauty of what happened. Eventually, the people caught fire. We started working together. Things start happening. And I want you to remember, we're not here to simply make a building. We're here not to make a monument. We're here to make a movement. God's called us as a movement. And so we need to remember the work to do today. There's still more that God has called us to. We have not yet reached the full valley. There is still more. In fact, Samuel put it this way, right? What was his call? His call was to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. To serve him faithfully. To know that God wants to use you in service. He wants to work through you to bless other people, to see them changed and transformed. And this is the beauty of what we have the opportunity. It isn't over yet. We're not home. We're on our way 
to eternity, which is home. In fact, the Great Commission continues forward that we were to go and therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that, he's, that Jesus commanded us. And behold, he is with us always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us to empower us. He's with us in this. He is guiding and leading us. And that's the goal, to realize by his spirit, he's present with us. The way we put this is we'd say we're here to love, live, and share Christ in this building. No, that's not what we're saying. Love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And I want to emphasize the wherever we go because it's wherever you go. It's wherever you go during the week. It's where you go after service. It's where you go 10 years from now, wherever you go. You can carry this mission statement into the next church that God calls you to. You can carry this mission statement to the next state you retire to. Wherever you go, you ought to love Christ and live for Christ and share Christ wherever you go. Because the goal here is to never stop being Christians who love God, who love Christ, who live for Christ. And this year, if you're looking for a resolution, if you're looking for an opportunity, then you can be a little unlike me. I mean, I, I, was, I got depressed on New Year's. I'll just be honest with you. I have kept journals since I was 12 years old. Uh, no, 14 years old. And uh, they're pretty consistent. So I've got lots of years of journals to read through, and I kind of take a minute every January 1st, and just kind of look through them. I decided this year, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to just look through my journals. I'm going to look through every time I can find January 1 or December 31st. So I read all of these times, January 1 of 2000, December 31st of 2010, just all these different moments. I had stopped and written in there what my resolution was, and I got really depressed because it was the same resolution every single time. I'm going to be more productive, and I'm going to write that book. I'm going to be more productive, and I'm going to write that music. I'm going to be more productive, and I'm going to do this thing. More productive, more productive. Stop being lazy. Stop being lazy. That's been my yell at myself. Be a doer. Stop thinking. You know, I'm that guy. I'm afraid my tombstone is going to say, lots of ideas, nothing accomplished, you know. (laughs) But God kind of worked me over. He said, you know what? Here's the thing. I don't want you to be more productive, as you always try to claim, because apparently I'm not productive enough to be more productive. So... He said, listen, I want you to want what I want for your year. And it called me back to just go deeper, to love him and to live for him more. And I just, I want to just let you know that there's no reason you can't add that in some way into your resolutions. Even if you're like, I don't want resolutions, then make that a resolution at least. To love Christ more, to live for Christ more. To just go deeper with him. You say, well, how in the world would I do that? We, we call it being part of the family. Um, and, and some of you guys are going to roll your eyes. You're like, oh, membership. And I've had people, you know, you come from churches where like, membership is important. You know, membership is, everybody's a member of the, the church if you're a Christian. I totally agree. If you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you are a member of God's global church. But you live in Southern California. And if you think that means because you're just a Christian, you should be able to vote in the church bylaws and things like that. Um, There are lots of people walking here saying they're a Christian. As Pastor Ike was fond of saying, just because you sit in the garage doesn't make you a car. So we want to remember that what we do is saying we would love for you to be part of the family. We want you guys to know what we mean by loving Christ and living for Christ and sharing Christ. We want to we be able to get to know you, to help you discover what God's ministry is that he has for you to do. We want to we be able to be a name so you have a closeness and a proximity. You're saying, I'm part of the family. Secondly, some of you guys are like, hey, but I give to the church. You know what? I'm volunteering at the church. I'm a member. I say, 
actually, why I get frustrated is I feel like if you're giving to the church and you're volunteering to the church, first of all, I want to say thank you. That's awesome. But I don't want to use you. I don't want to sit here and say, yeah, thanks for giving and thanks for the... I want you to be... I'm just asking, be part of the team. Come on. And I know some of you guys have been through like thousands of membership classes. Um, but what we're really asking is just so you can be a part of what we're thinking, know what we believe, be backing our elders and holding them accountable who hold our staff accountable so that we can make sure that this is working right. We don't want power to be found in one location. Our family, it needs to have it all throughout. And that's what our family does. We want to give you that information so you know what happens in the elders meeting, so you can get information and know what's going on in the church. This is what our membership, this is what our family receives. So we have three different family, join the families this month, uh, trying to give everybody an opportunity. Become a part, connect in, ask your questions, you know, make your determinations. If this is home, then how can you be on board and how can we get moving together? But beyond that, it enables us to encourage you and, to, and encourage even me to continue in our, our, these simple things that help build our love and our living for Christ. First one is daily engage with God in the Bible and prayer. Maybe that's where you need to start. If you're a beginner Christian, it's like, hey, you want to grow like lightning this year? Just get in the Word of God and just pray. Get to know God's voice in the Word of God. Get to know God's voice in your prayers. Talk to Him. Watch what happens. God gives guidance. God leads and God meets us in his word. Spend some time in it. It's as simple as that. Maybe it's his next step is just, hey, make it, a, make it a means to be regularly attending church. We're in a world that attends church once every four weeks. In some cases, there are people who just came a couple weeks ago and said, I made it to church. My New Year's resolution is over. Check, you know, Christmas, done. It's people who come at Easter, check, done. And I get it. Some cases, that's how some people experience God. I want to encourage you that maybe you're missing out on the family environment and the opportunity to fit the next two pieces, which is a small group, a place where you're known by name. If you're coming to a large group, you're expecting to be known here, I'll tell you what, I'll meet you, and most likely I'll meet you in the first few times I meet you. Your name is, hey, buddy, hi, ma'am. Nice to meet you, sir. If you want a better name than buddy, not, not the elf, but buddy, ma'am, and sir, then you need to be in a small group where somebody knows you. Somebody talks and speaks and knows what's going on in your life and prays with you. You guys are able to go deeper and ask the questions from the message and different things like that. Or the last one is simply serve on a team. Not saying go help somebody else do their ministry. I'm saying God gifted you. If you're a Christian, you have a gift given to you by God. God has poured into his spirit and given you an ability that he's asking you to use. He placed you here so that you would find your ministry. And there are many of you that have the same gifts that could gather together to see something accomplished in youth, in children's, or in something we've never seen before. And I don't know if any of these four will end up being what you need to have on your, on your list for the year, but I definitely know they're on mine to continue to press me in deeper to love and to live for Christ. And I think this is the most important thing, because here's, here's what I understand. When you love and live for Christ, you share about him. You say, we share about what we love and live for with those we love and live with. Don't we? If I love and live for my kids, man, I'm so excited about my kids, I come to work. And those people I love and live with here, I talk about them. When something awesome happens to the congregation, I go home and I talk about it because I share about what I love and live for. If your team does really well, if your chargers or your whatever is doing really well, 
You go tell people about it. We share what we enjoy. We share what we love and live for. And so when we love Christ more, we live for Christ more, we'll share him more. Some of us aren't sharing him because you're stuck. You're standing there just at the edge of what you know God has called you to do, and you have not yet taken that step. You've looked at it. You've stared at it. You've looked at your calendar. You said, there's no way. There's no time. There's no money. There's no this. There's no that. I'm not skilled enough. This is impossible. Nobody could use this thing. And God's just going, step. Trust me. Have some faith, ye of little faith. And many of us have paused and we have not yet taken that step forward. And what God's been calling you to do and envisioning in your heart, because honestly, we need to deepen that love. And when you take that step, that love will show up as God supports you and meets you in that moment of that ministry. It's powerful as he's shown up. And it will begin to stir something in you. It will begin to stir something about the people around you. Because, man, I'll tell you what, the more you see God working and the more you see him working in your life, the more you have a desire for other people to have what you have. Look at Paul as an example here. In his letter to the Romans, he says this. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness by the, in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, meaning the Israelites. He's saying, listen, I'm just so burdened. I'm agonizing. I would wish I would go to hell rather than see my friends, my family members go there. And that's the heart of a passionate church that's willing to reach the Corona Valley. A church that looks at your neighbors and looks at your friends and looks at your family members and looks at the guys you're commuting with and working with and says, man, I hope and I long that you would not experience hell so much that I would be willing to suffer it for you. Isn't that the heart that's needed? Or has apathy grabbed our souls so badly that we're so afraid to offend? We're so afraid to insult that we are actually wishing them to hell because we won't open our mouths. And that's the calling that God's given to us, that these people we would love with such a deepness, with such a desire that they would see them know Jesus. Because guess what, guys? There's a lot of work left to do. In the valleys right now, there are still 200,000 people that surround us that are not stepping near the gospel. Now, I've had pushback of this over the years, so I decided we'll do some math. You guys ready? Math quiz. I'm not very good at this, so we'll see how this goes. First and foremost, I, there are 298,000 people in the population of Lake Elsinore, Temescal Valley, Corona, and Norco and kind of the county surrounding areas. 298,000 people that are surrounding us. Now, let's just put it this way. Now, we've got some pretty big churches. You've got Cornerstone, Crossroads, Harvest. You've got, um, oh goodness, we've got Chino Hills, uh, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, uh, Sandals. They're all pulling a lot of different, and Saddleback even pulls people from out here. So let's just assume that they're pulling a, roughly about 20,000 people from Corona to their churches, because there's some big churches. And just with Crossroads, we know that's about, about 8,000. So let's say 20,000 people. I think that's a, a good size estimate. Are we okay with that one? And we do know in Corona and Norco, there's 100 and, um, uh, and uh, Lake Elsinore, there's about 145 churches, 150 churches. Now, about 10 of those our churches are over a thousand people. And so let's just give them like, uh, let's give them a little bump. Some of them are about 3,000, some of them 1,000. So 
you know, we get in there, we'll give them each about 2,000. So we'll say that's another 20,000. Let's add that together. Where are we at? About 40,000 people. All right, for the remaining, let's just say remaining 150, let's be gracious. They each have, let's say they have two services, each filling up with about 100 people. Um, so they're each about 200 people, which is the average in church, uh, church in America is 125. So we'll be a little generous, say they're each one about 200 people. So 200, that's another 20,000. Where are we at? We're at 60,000. So let's just throw another 20,000 on top right there. We'll say there are 80,000 people in church. You say, Greg, you're not including the Catholic churches. I say, well, okay, I'm not claiming that all, I'm not including the Catholic churches. I'm not including the Mormon churches. I'm not claiming that be, there aren't saved people in Catholic churches. So don't hear me wrong. Not everybody in this room is saved. And some of us need to stop messing around and get right with Jesus Christ before you die and face judgment. Because God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear your moral failings on the cross and the sin that you've committed. And he has done it to love you. He gave prophecies. He's given enough information over and over and over to give you enough evidence historically that he rose from the dead to give you life eternally. And it's time for you to stop goofing around and make a decision. And it's that message that I believe that the majority of these people aren't hearing, that God loves them with that incredible love. He's willing to die and give his son to bear your sins. That's incredible. And so I think you need to make a decision about this, but that's why we're that far away. 200,000, 210,000, but 200,000 people who aren't hearing that message. You're thinking, man, that is so overwhelming. There's 150 churches. There's plenty of room. Amen. Let's pray for revival in Corona. Amen. Let's see 150 churches. Let's be a church that prays that we be a church of 10,000 and the smallest in the city. Because that's what it would take. I don't like big churches. Jesus likes big churches. Day one, church was 3,000 people. Kept adding it from there. My point is, we can't be responsible for other churches. I can't be responsible for my friend Jeremy. I can't be responsible for Chuck. I can't be responsible for the other pastors in town. We can only be responsible for Olive Branch, my friends, because this is where we are. This church was founded to reach this valley. This is what we're a part of. We're here to love, live, and share Christ together. We have to be focused on what God has us to do here. And yes, let's pray for our brothers and sisters and pray revival hits this nation. That's what it's going to take. Because God loves this nation. God loves these people. God loves Corona. And God has given his son, Jesus, to die and spill his blood to save these people if they will hear it, receive it. Enough have gone to hell. We don't need to do it anymore. But you're like, 200,000, that's overwhelming. You don't have to think about the 200,000. Here's what I want you to think about. Kevin Bacon. Say, what? Yeah, yeah. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. You can look it up later. But there was an old game that was played in Hollywood a few years ago where they would take any movie or any actor or any director or anybody in Hollywood and say, within six people, we could get back to Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon thought it was funny, so he started a website that's called Six Degrees to Kevin Bacon. Still runs today. You can play the game if you want to. But the point is this. There's, uh, Microsoft took it one step further with Six Degrees of Separation, found out now nah, it's technically 6.6. But in other words, you are seven degrees of separation. One degree is the person that you're, the first introduction. You're seven introductions away from meeting anybody on the planet. 
Seven introductions away from meeting a man of a Dalit in India. Seven introductions away from meeting an elder in the middle of Ethiopia. Seven introductions away from meeting the President of the United States. Seven introductions away from anybody on this planet. Here's how evangelism works. It's not crazy. I want you to pass that, holding onto the string, to your right. You're going to get all the way back to Dominic. Dominic, raise your hand in the back. You're going to go, or your left. Just and here's how it works: one person at a time. Just pass and hold on to the string. Here you go. Now you can go back, and we're going to go all the way back to Bob in the back. Yep, hang on the string. Just one person at a time. Here you go. Yeah, wrap it around the chair. You can wrap around people. Just don't wrap around necks. One more time. This time, we will go all the way back to Andy back there. So we pass it back to Andy. You're one at a time. Pass it back to Andy. Hey, that's skipping. That's missionary work. You can't do that. But one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. See, here's the illustration of what you're seeing here. As this, as this little rope represents the gospel rolling out into all kinds of different people in different areas. Here's what I want you to understand. If you've received the gospel, the gospel came to you because it's going through you to somebody else that's near you. Do you hear what I said? The gospel came to you because it wants to go through you to somebody else who's near you. In fact, say it out loud with me. Say, the gospel came to me. One more time. The gospel came to me because it's going through me to somebody else that's near me. That's how the gospel works. Notice how Paul said it. And when he's standing before the Philosopher's Guild in Athens, he says, and he, he's telling them, listen, God's not in thrones and all this stuff. He's not up in buildings. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. He's not actually far from each one of us. He says, listen, do you understand why you live in 2019? You know why you're alive today and not in 2,247 or 1,822 or 10,000 B.C.? Why do you live today? Why are you existent now? Why do you live here in Corona? Why on your street? Why do you have your neighbors? Except that God determined the allotted period of your life and where you would dwell. Why? So the people surrounding you who God put there and planted there might, huh, seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. How is he not actually that far away from each of them? Because here we are. Six degrees separated from everyone else with a message that's come to you because it wants to go through you. A message that God has said, I have loved you and I love this world and I have died for you. I have borne your sins and your shame and your garbage so you will not have to suffer hell. I love you and I love them. Pass it on. Pass it on. There's still work. To do. And so, what I want to do is call us to the idea of you envisioning a future that is greater than our past. Our past has been awesome, but I trust the Lord that our future is greater. 
It's a greater than kind of future. It's a greater than kind of thing in which we're not just going to be doing addition or adding people to the kingdom where it's going to become multiplication, where there's lots of addition. We'll be, we'll be talking about that next week. But what I really want to challenge you guys is to contemplate and think about what does God have for you? Look at this phrase that Jesus uses in his last day with his disciples. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What were the works that he did? Jesus preached the gospel. He healed people. And he went and cast out demons. He met those who were untouchable and touched them. He got involved with the poor and cared for them. Jesus was deeply involved and preached the gospel the entire time. He says, listen, if you follow me, if you believe in me, you're going to do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, there's lots of debates in this. Does this mean like you're going to stand on a stage and people are going to fall over backwards when you raise your hands and swing your jacket or something? No, 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 no. What he's talking about is, what would the world look like if there were millions of Jesuses instead of just one? Millions of people were willing to love others so desperately they were willing to give their life and go to hell for them if they were to hear it. People who were willing to serve and care and heal and do whatever they could. This is the vision Jesus is saying. And this is to wake our imagination to a holy imagination. You could do greater things if you're following Jesus, not the church. You as a disciple, you'll do greater things. What is it God may be doing or calling you to? What is the vision he's casting for you? What is he trying to capture for you? Stop ignoring the calling that God may have laid on your life. No matter your age, the vision that he may have called you to, to make a difference in the hurting in those who need desperately this message. And think of a greater vision. What could it be? What might he be leading you towards Because that's where the James Projects come from. That's where the schools are born. That's where ministry is birthed and transformation happens. And you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Work harder? I'm so busy. I drive on a commute. I've got so Yeah, exactly. And you're a sinner and we're all broken and and life sucks, okay? Welcome to Genesis 3. But I want to take us past that back to the Easter morning where Jesus' resurrection power dwells with us and leads us forward. So what do you do? Here, let's take a little tack from the Proverbs. It says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. You know what we're doing? We're going to prepare. We need to prepare. It's about preparation. You prepare the horse for battle. The Lord wins the victory. You prepare. And what does that mean? It means we sacrifice and we set ourselves up to get ready for what God is doing. And then we move forward and God can do victory. You prepare for that ministry. You prepare for that giving. You prepare for that change. You prepare for that adjustment in your life. You prepare. And if God gives you the opportunity, you seize it. You, t- you take the risk and step on him and you prepare. And if the Lord is there, he, and he is, because he said, you're on my mission, I'm with you, then he will bring victory if victory is what he has. Now, there are a lot of ministries, my friends, that through littered through those 30 years that aren't here anymore. But it doesn't mean it didn't reach somebody. It doesn't mean that it didn't affect a life. There are people in our church that were saved through ministries that aren't here anymore, but they are. Don't underestimate what God can do in your life. Don't underestimate what he can do through one of you. 
with the vision that he's called to you. If you do, and maybe you'll step back and say, you know, I'm too busy. Yeah, I don't have any money. Nah, who am I? I don't have any skills. I can't do this. Just be glad a Tennessee boy saved in his mid-30s, suffering from a divorce, who some people say should never be allowed to plant a church, didn't think those thoughts. Well, so we wouldn't be gathered here today in the way that we are. And some of us wouldn't even know Jesus. Because Pastor Ike was willing to trust the Spirit of God as it led him into the vision to reach this valley. Our future, if we follow the Lord, will be greater than our past. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our God in heaven, thank you for what you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for the grace that you've laid into this church by the blood that you've spilt. Thank you for the spirit that you've given us that empowers us to love others when otherwise we would not want to. God, thank you for the neighbors you've laid around us as an opportunity for the gospel to go through us. Thank you for the friends and the coworkers and the family members that surround us that we may love them with the love that you have loved us with. Lord, where we're inadequate, where we're apathetic, shake and wake our souls. Bring revival to the churches in Corona. Light them on fire. And God, allow them to grow exponentially. And God, here, open our hearts up that we may be people of vision, that we may be people of faith, that we may set out to see what you, O oh Lord, are longing to do in this valley, that others might be saved. We ask this in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, and for your glory, Father. And all of God's people said, amen.